Hi everybody, good evening and welcome to church. Who did have a rest this afternoon? Kerry did. I was busy getting these notes together, busy finishing it off. I want to ask a question tonight, and this is something that I've been living out for quite some time now, and God's been really challenging me about it, and the enemy's been really challenging me about it, and I know that you're in such a, such a place Sorry, such a time in a place like this. You're here for such a time as this, I should say, because the enemy's been really trying to discourage me, particularly this week from bringing this message. I've had an unusually um, up and down week, and I know the enemy's been at work. And today I just felt a real release this afternoon to, um, to preach this message. He's been trying to keep me from it. Question is, how big is your God and how big is your giant? Can I have the um, PowerPoint up, please? How big is your God and how big is your giant? I had two favourite stories growing up, and this is, um, this is probably a, a process or a thing of um, loose association. Two stories with my favourites growing up, of course, were David and Goliath. And the loose association there is the name David, of course. And the other one was Jack and the Beanstalk, again. Jack, again, a giant and a hero. And those two stories seem to be my favourite stories from childhood. Of course, the story of David and Goliath has continued to be, whereas um, Jack and the Beanstalk just seems to have faded away. But uh, that question tonight, how big is your God and how big is your giant? Now, that didn't come up properly on the screen, so hopefully we'll be all right. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would be God here tonight, that, Lord, as we lift up and we honour your name tonight, Lord God, you would be glorified, that it would not be me or my words, Lord, but it would be your words, the precious words of your Holy Spirit that would begin to, Lord, just unfold your word and your ideas tonight and your plans and your purposes for our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we can be ones who live in victory, not live defeated from day to day even though the enemy would come to steal and to kill and to destroy time and time again. Lord, we thank you that through you we have the victory. Thank you, Lord God, that you are greater than anything we face. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, giants all through, the, all through history, and they're historical, they're also mythical, but they're historical. All throughout history, giants have induced fear in mankind. And I'd found this um, picture on the internet. Now you can see that little guy over there, that little skeleton over there is a six-foot-tall person. Harry, how, old, how, how tall are you? You're over six foot? Yeah, Penny, you're six foot? Andrew, you're six foot? So you can imagine, look at these guys. There's Goliath there. The Bible says he's over nine foot, but look at these other ones that um, have been dug up, have been exposed through earthquakes. But giants and fear seem to go together. There's always, we always face something or someone that's bigger than us, a big, immense problem. And so tonight, as I begin talking about this, I want you to picture or think about what you're facing at the moment. What is your giant? What is the thing that brings the greatest fear in your life? Because I want to address that tonight. 
The percentage of things feared that will never take place. Some, some studies say it's 60% of the things that we fear will never, ever happen. Other studies say that it's 85%. And here are the top 10 things. I think this survey was done in America last year. The top 10 things that people are afraid of. Public speaking. Well, that's not one for me. But public speaking, death, spiders, that's mine, arachnophobia, darkness, heights, people and social situations, flying, confined spaces, open spaces, and thunder and lightning, which is called brontophobia. You believe that? They've even got a name for that, brontophobia, the fear of lightning and thunder. Dale Carnegie, the author of the book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, says, here's a quote from him, Fear does not exist anywhere except in the mind. Fear does not exist anywhere except in the mind. And here's one from Anthony Robbins. I think he's a life coach or something. Fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Go this way. Giants in the promised land. In 1300 BC, 1300 years before Christ, we read in Numbers 13, 27 and 33 about the 12 spies. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, the promised land, and hey, it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. Look at their eyes. They've seen the giants. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. We'll look at that in a minute. Verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Numbers 13, 20, uh, sorry, verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. There's giants in that land. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak that come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now that reference there to the Nephilim, back in Genesis 6-4 before Noah, when God um, spoke the flood, was going to happen and he was going to wipe out mankind for the evil. That Nephilim there in Genesis 6-4 talks about the sons of God, little g, the sons of God who came down and had children with the women of earth because they thought they were beautiful. Now there's a lot of scholars that debate were these um, demons, were these, what were these? The common thought is that they were in fact fallen angels. The the uh, word Nephilim means to fall or fallen. 
And so here we see the enemy, the enemy of God, Lucifer, instilling fear in the hearts of men through these giants. And so we'll keep with that theme that giants equal fear. And quite often the enemy wants to bring fear into our lives, into our hearts, to instill fear that we would not believe in Jesus, that we would not believe that Father God is all-powerful, that we would not believe that God is greater than the giants in our life. See, here's what the ten scouts saw. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw themselves, they even said, and we seem like grasshoppers in their eyes also. Caleb and Joshua saw that God was bigger than, that God was greater than the giants in the land. And we can certainly, we can surely do it. See, if we take back from my school days, these symbols, some, there's some teachers here, so you'll understand this. Is God, is your God greater than your giant? Or is your giant greater than your God? Is God greater than your giant? Or the other symbol, is God less than your giant? Is God greater than your giant? Or is your giant greater than God? There were giants in the promised land, 12 spies. 10 saw giants, 2 saw God's victory. And there's the word fear in the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Two different meanings for the word fear. We are told to fear God because that is the beginning of wisdom. On the other hand, we can fear mankind, we can fear giants, we can fear other things, we can fear big impossible situations that we dread would be coming upon us. It's the same word. The Old Testament, the Hebrew word is yore. In the New Testament, the word is phobos. The Greek, Greek word is phobos, where we get phobia from. Do we fear God and reverence Him, revere Him, adore Him, or worship Him? Do we give honor and worth to him? Or do we fear the giants? Do we give honor and worth to the giants by living our life in terror, in flight? Are we seized? Are we struck? Are we afraid? Perception. Perception. Is our God greater than the giants? Is our God greater than that thing that we face day to day? Or is our God less than those giants? Is our God less than the enemy's wiles, the enemy's tricks to dis discredit God and to make us fear, to bring fear? Do we fear God or do we fear the giants? Another 300 years from the promised land and around 1000 BC, young David was asked by his father to take a couple of donkey loads of grain and cheese to the boys out fighting the Philistines. Three of those boys were his older brothers. When he got there, he heard Goliath, who was over nine feet tall, shouting out the same insults against the army of Israel. He had been doing this for 40 days and 40, 40 days, morning and night. Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard it, and he was afraid, along with his two other brothers, all the army, and King Saul. Now remember when King Saul was selected by Samuel to be the king over Israel, we read that he was a head taller than all the other people. So if anybody shouldn't have been afraid of Goliath, it would have been Saul. Of course, they didn't send their king out to fight the battle. 
He was the commander of the army. But if anybody, Saul should not have been afraid because he was even bigger. He was taller than the others. But we read here in 1 Samuel 17, 11, On hearing the Philistines' word, Goliath shouting out insults against the army of God, Goliath shouting out for 40 days, evening, morning and evening, shouting out insults against the God of Israel. On hearing these words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So for Eliab, his two other brothers, King Saul and the whole army of Israel, their God was less than this giant Goliath that they were facing. Their God was less than the giant that they were facing. Along comes David with this load of grain, bread, cheese, whatever else he had. When he got there, he heard Goliath shouting out the same insults against the army of Israel. You can imagine the army of Israel, maybe the first couple of days they weren't really perturbed. They were trying to work out a plan. They were trying to work out who would go and fight Goliath or whether they could run around behind him and trip him up or something. But after 40 days and 40 nights, they were starting to, they were really worn down. And the enemy will come day and night with the same problem. Day and night to instill the same fear in our hearts. Day and night with the same temptation. Day and night with the same discouragement. Day and night with the same problem. Time and time and time and time again. And when we, sometimes when we overcome that, he'll come with a new problem. He'll come with a new discouragement. He'll come with a new idea or a new temptation. Quite often he will just keep coming and coming for the enemy of our souls, the enemy of God himself wants to steal and to kill and to destroy us. And the battle is always in the mind. Eliab saw his God as less than Goliath. King Saul, head taller than the others, also feared Goliath. But David, when he came in verse 26, he said, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this what? not a threat, removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, he was saying, we are men of Israel. We are in covenant with God, our Father. Who is this Philistine who is not in covenant? Won't our God who is greater than Goliath, won't our God protect us? Won't he help us? Won't he be with us as we defeat this giant. Who is this uncircumcised disgrace that he should defy the armies of the living God? Playing around now, here's some loose association, playing around with these symbols on my computer. And I had a look at this, and this is David under his shelter in his presence. We have the victory. God, who was David's shelter, offered his presence. We find this all through the Psalms. God, who was David's shelter, offered his presence and protection to those who would come aside and meet with him in his dwelling place, in his tent of meeting, who would give him the victory over this very present and threatening giant. Now, here's some more loose association. 
For David, when he came to the army, for the army Goliath was greater than their God. For Goliath, their God was less than or seemed less than this giant that they were facing. David put a stroke through that. And here's a loose association again. David put a stroke through that and said, Who is this disgrace? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And so I want you to look for the word strike or stroke or struck in this passage. 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Then down to verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will, will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is who? The battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Verse 48 to 51. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he what? struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Five times in this passage, struck or strike. Struck or strike. Now, can you imagine if David faced Goliath as he was just about to let his stone go, a bear that he didn't kill, the bear that he didn't finish off came out of the woods and started hassling him as well. Imagine as he's facing off between Goliath and the bear, the lion that he didn't kill either came out from a different direction and he was facing, the enemy tries to do that time and time again. We'll face one problem. If we haven't put that problem to death and finished it off in the sight of God, the enemy will, will mount up problem after problem, and we've, sometimes we're facing three or four, five and six problems all at once. Imagine if David hadn't finished off the bear. 
Imagine if he hadn't finished off the lion. Imagine if he hadn't finished off Goliath. Now this word strike or struck, I found this passage and I remembered it's a bit of an odd, quirky passage, but I want to bring your attention to this, to strike or struck. 2 Kings 13, 14 to 19. Remember in that passage before, five times David struck or he threatened he would strike down the Philistine. Elisha was at the end of his life. Elisha was on his deathbed. And King Jehoash came and saw him. He was all worried because in the time of Elisha, because of the prophet and because of his faith and because of the miracles that he performed for the army and for the nation of Israel, they didn't seem to fight any battles. They always did well. But now, now that Elisha was on his way out, he was on his last legs, so to speak. He was at the end of his days. King Jehoash came to him says here, now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. He was on his deathbed. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. The chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He was now worried and concerned about his army. He was now worried and concerned about the battles that they would face now without Elisha around. Elisha said to him, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands, and he said to him, open up the east window, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. As he did, as the arrow flew, Elisha cried out, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. In other words, Syria. Elisha declared, You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, Take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, Take the arrows and strike the ground. He struck the ground three times and stopped. We read then that the prophet Elisha got very angry with him and said, Why did you stop after three times? Why did you only strike the ground three times? Had you have kept striking five and six times, you would have completely destroyed the Arameans or the the nation of Syria. So he said to him, you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you will only defeat it three times. Quite often the enemy will come and discourage us. We'll fight a battle in our mind. We'll ask the Lord for help. The enemy will move on. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. He'll come back and do it again and again and again and again. And quite often we'll, we'll give up the fight. We'll give up the fight on the edge of a miracle. We'll give up the fight on the edge of victory. We'll give up the fight after three times and the enemy will just keep coming back time and time again. And so here we read about Elisha encouraging him to strike the ground with the arrows And so too, the Lord wants us to strike and strike and not give up and strike and have that faith and keep striking. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, got it here on my phone if it'll come up. Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. Quite often, we strike and we strike and we strike the arrows with the arrows that the Lord gives us, but we can give up too easy. The enemy just keeps coming back. We don't see anything. We don't see the victory. We don't see God working. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our perception of the difference between the size of the giant and the size of our God will be the strikes of the arrows which determine greater than or less than. And with one more strike, we can say not less than. Our God, the enemy wants to come and say our God is less than our problem. Our God is not up to measure. Our God can't help us. Our God is less than. But with one more strike, our God is not less than. Our God is greater than anything Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Just like David killed the lion and the bear and Goliath, sometimes we are facing more than one giant, one fear or one problem at a time because we did not finish them off. As I finish tonight, I want to talk about the answers to fear. How do we strike the giant? How do we strike that encouragement? How do we strike out against the enemy? Now, be very careful because in the Bible we read, you know, we don't have the authority except in Jesus Christ to stand against the enemy. And even in the Bible we read that, you know, the sons of Sceva were trying to cast out demons. They were trying to stand against the works of the enemy. The demons said to them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Can I encourage you, if you stand against the enemy, if you strike against the enemy, don't forget that it's the Lord. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I can't rebuke Satan on my own. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Quite often as Christians, we leave ourselves open to attack without defense because we try to, um, we try to rebuke Satan in our own authority and in our own power and in our own strength. Just remember, the battle is the Lord's, and the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Firstly, we need to recognize the enemy at work. Recognize the enemy at work. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Number two, casting down imaginations for the battle is in our mind. Fear only exists in our mind. It doesn't exist anywhere else. We cast down imaginations. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not human, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, especially in our mind, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Number three, renewing your mind. Romans 12.2 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Perfect love, number four. See, we could give up after that. We could go, okay, we recognize the enemy. We cast down imaginations. We renew our minds through the word of God. But here's where it gets difficult. Perfect love. The love of God, agape love, no strings attached. The love where Jesus Christ gave his life for us while we were still sinners. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Doesn't the devil keep bringing that? The one who fears is not made perfect in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Doesn't the devil keep trying to punish us with thoughts, the things that we've done, the things that we should have done, the things that we are yet to do? He'll punish us time and time again. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Number five, praise. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Number six, peace. Philippians 4.7, the very next verse. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I have the singers and musicians please, Kate? Recognize the enemy at work. Casting down imaginations, renewing of your mind, perfect love, praise, and peace. I want to ask you that question again tonight. How big is your God? And how big is your giant? How big is the thing, the situation, the problem, whatever? How big is that compared to your God? See, quite often we can say, God and our giant. It's easy to say when things are going well. God is greater than our giant. But when the problems come, the enemy wants to tell us that our God is less than, our God is less than our giant. Keep striking. Keep striking. Because when the enemy comes and tells us that our God is less than our problem, keep striking. Our God is not less than our problem. Our God, he's greater than anything. He's greater than our problem. He's greater than our giant. He's greater than our situation. He's greater than our need. He's greater than our discouragement. He's greater than those things that keep us awake at night. He's greater than those discouraging things that come from other people, tools in the hand of the enemy, arrows even, if you would, in the hand of the enemy. Here's another quote. I don't know where it came from. It wasn't... Um, Attributed to anybody. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered and nobody was there. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered and nobody was there. Doesn't fear come knocking at the door time and time again? We answer with faith. I'm a child of God. God's going to provide my needs. I'm pure, I'm washed in the, in the blood of the Lamb. 
I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm a child of God, I'm a son of the living God. Faith answers the door when fear comes. There's nobody there. The enemy will come time and time again and try and knock us down. He'll come time and time again and try and pull out the stops. He's been doing it for a lot of years. He's been doing it for thousands and thousands of years to try and discredit God who is greater than all creation. Let's just pray. Thank you, Lord. Father God, as we face our giants, Lord, as we even think of them as they come to mind now, Lord, our problems, our situations, those discouraging fears that we have, those phobias even, Lord, in our lives. Lord, I thank you that greater are you that is within us than anything in the world. We thank you, Lord, as we recognize that it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against, but it's principalities and powers, the evil one, your enemy, Lord God. And we thank you that you defeated Satan on the cross through the blood of your son. Jesus, thank you for being obedient and taking our place. Thank you that we have the victory. As we find time and as we make time to find ourselves in your presence, under your shelter, under the shelter of your wings, Lord God, we thank you that in you and through you we have the victory. We pray this in your mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this song about victory tonight, as we sing this song about how great our God is, the Lion of Judah, I just ask if there's a battle that you're facing, if you'd like prayer for that, I'll ask that you come forward and we'll just pray for you. The, the prayer team will pray for you. Just as we sing this song in closing tonight. Thank you, Kate.